Thanks. Good morning, uh, Res City. My name is Nate. I am not one of the pastors here. And so uh, it'll look a little different. We might have some hiccups along the way, which is fine, because uh, this is not my normal gig. So uh, my name is Nate. I am married to Ellie. We've been married for almost seven years now. And yeah, thank you for that. Um, long time. And we have two crazy little girls. And so you guys have probably seen them. Luckily, they're not running around yet. Um, but Nova and Rue, and if you guys haven't had a chance to meet them, Nova, um, because they are twins, almost nine months old, she's the one with the curly hair, um, and she's crazy. So if you want to hold her, feel free, good luck. Um, and then Rue is the one who looks like me if I had hair, and uh, she's also great. So we live here in St. Paul, um, really thankful, and we've been a part of this church almost three years as I was writing this, I wrote two years, and Ellie's like, it's been three. I was like, man, it's, it's gone fast. Um, but super excited to be here, excited to speak for you guys and for all of you joining on the stream. Um, hi. Um, for that. So one thing I did forget as a hiccup is a clicker, and that's fine. Um, but one thing before we get started here, so I am not a pastor. I don't have any theological training. Um, well, actually, I guess that's technically not true. I did attend Northwestern, so I have a, bi a minor in Bible, um, but I wasn't very studious my freshman year, so I don't think it's going to translate. Um, but for those of you who don't enjoy Greek, Hebrew, big words, I'm the guy for you, because you will get none of that today. Um, I can't understand or pronounce it anyway, but if you have questions about it later, you can go to Joel or Julie, and they'll help you um, with that. Uh, but honestly, when Joel and Julie talked to us about, or talked to me about potentially preaching on the idea of evangelism, part of me was excited, and part of me was a little nervous, of like, man, I don't really enjoy speaking in front of people, and then I have these two crazy little girls, and we sleep like, it feels like three hours a night, so I'm like, we're running on 50% brain power. So to try to help, like the last couple nights, Ellie's been taking the girls primarily, so you'll get me at least at 50% brain power, and she's at like 30, so if she gives you a weird look, it's okay. Um, but all that to say, oh, we can go one more slide. There we go. Um, we've been in a sermon series here at Res City about who we are as a church. Um, so knowing Christ, um, growing together. Or sorry, I'll, I'll get my rhythm here shortly. Know, grow, go together. And so in knowing, it was about we get to know God through knowledge. We pursue him. You have to actually know him as a relationship um, but it's more than just that. You can know a lot about a thing and not love the thing. And so how do we use our minds to love him and to grow in that as people? And then as we got to growing, we got tons of gardening analogies. And so we're always planting, stuff's always popping up. And what does it look like to produce positive fruit in our lives? And then as we talked about going last week, Joel preached on the idea of serving. And so doing mission here in throughout the world, but specifically in the Hamlin Midway area, how do we serve and love our neighbors, and those around us. And this week is the second half of that. And so it's about the idea of evangelism. If you're reading the screen, you'll say, that's the wrong word, I know. We'll get to the word invite. Um, but just the general concept of evangelism, sharing our faith with others in order that they might believe the same thing. Um, so it kind of feels heavy as a guest speaker. I'm speaking kind of for Resurrection City. And so I feel the weight of that and yet feel excited about that of who we are as a church and what he's called us to as his people. Um, and so we're excited for that. Uh, a few caveats before we jump into a text, and this will take a little more time, um, maybe in part of the sermon. So number one, I do not have a formula for evangelism for you. So if you got really excited about this, you came in, you're like, oh, evangelism, great. Once I know how to do this, I'm sorry, the next 30 minutes aren't going to do that for you. There's been much smarter um, people in the world. God wrote the Bible. He did all these things. If there was a strict formula, I think someone else would have produced it. So you're not going to get it from me. Um, so you can keep hoping afterwards. Maybe we can run a class um, some other time. But the reality is evangelism just takes such nuance. Um, your relationship with each person is different. Uh, your age, um, maybe the sex that you guys are, their religion, your comfort level talking deep things, or maybe theirs. All these things are different. So if you came up to me like, Nate, I have this good friend. I want to evangelize. How do I do it? I don't know. It's going to be different based on your relationship, based on your ability to communicate, and based on who you guys are as friends. Are they family members you'll see for the next 25 years? 
or the coworker who's leaving changes it. Is it someone on the street? And so I'll have to say, there isn't just this formula that I can give you where now you're good to go and just like run this back the rest of your life. I wish I had it. I would be a lot more successful as well. Um, but that's not the reality of evangelism. Um, but instead, the goal for today would be that all of us feel like we could do this. And this is worthwhile. Um, and then before we jump into, I want to just address a few different categories of people who are listening, probably in this room and then also on the stream or maybe in the future on the stream. Um, number one, so for those of you who would not be Christians or not claim following Jesus, we're so glad you're here. I would encourage you, please don't shut this off yet. Um, evangelism and this idea of inviting is a thing that believers do when they're talking about their faith. And so if you're not a Christian yet, you don't have to do it. It's not a part of it. But I still think there's value for you, value for you in this. Um, a, what I hope this, this message does is it encourages you um, to keep walking through your spiritual journey and seeing, is this for me? And secondly, that if there are those who are sharing their faith with you, who are like walking through this journey with you, your love and respect and affection for them would grow and increase regardless if you ever believe what they do. Because I think it's a loving thing that we step into alongside. Um, and so for those of you who aren't currently Christians, um, so glad you're here and I think this has something for you and could be a picture of if I ever accept this guy Jesus as my Lord and Savior, what does part of that mean? Um, number two, and this is the, the group of people I'm going to spend the most time here, um, is Christians, so you believe in Jesus, but who feel uncomfortable with evangelism or maybe even feel that evangelism's wrong. So I'm going to step aside and help just point out. So this is an interesting chart by Barna. So this was a study done in 2019, so sorry for you Gen Zers. Um, we don't have information on you yet, but I'm sure it'll come soon. So the top line of this thing was, this was mainly two Christians, but was about part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. Do you strongly agree? Agree. Not all. What's interesting is it's at least 95%. So it's like, man, crushed it. Stage one, good. Number two, the best thing that could ever happen for someone is for them to come to know Jesus. Again, we're at 94% or above for each category of millennial, Gen X, boomer, elder. The third one, when someone raises questions about faith, I know how to respond. Again, at least 86%, but it's staying really high. So it's important. I know how to respond. I love uh, the, the irony of the next two, um, but they're great. But I'm gifted at sharing my faith with other people. For the first time, kind of millennials get more gifted. They're more at least self-confident in their ability, which I love. Um, so all the way up to 73%. And then I think this is where it does get ironic. Fourth category, or fifth category, it is wrong to share someone's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they'll one day share the same faith. And we see from elders, 20%, boomers, 19%, so still about one in five. Gen X, 27%, about one in four. And now with millennials, all the way up to like 47%. Um, which I just think is fascinating that if you're doing the math of like this, at least 20% of the people who said, I'm really gifted in sharing my faith, think it's wrong to share their faith. Hard to be gifted when you're not willing to do it. Um, so I just want to give um, two thoughts on this real quick. And one other quirk you should know about me as we go through this message, I speak in the third person. So when I refer to Nate or Nate's thoughts, I'm talking about myself. I don't know. I've just always done it. If you've played games with me, done stuff with me, you'll be like, why does he always get so mad at Nate? And it's always myself. So when, when I talk about Nate's thoughts, I'm not going crazy up here yet. That might come later, um, but that's primarily about this. But I want to give you two of Nate's thoughts on why I think this is. Um, number one, I think there has been a shift in our culture of absolute truth. And I don't want to spend much time there. I don't want to, like, poke holes there. That's a whole other topic, a whole other sermon um, and concept about the idea of absolute truth. And I don't think it's quite as prevalent, probably, in those of you who are streaming or listening to this. So I'll just spend a minute there, and then I want to spend more time on the second reason why I think this is. And so, with absolute truth, the idea of everyone gets to pick their own, and I say it, there is some really good concepts and value in that of like, each person is their own, I can't dictate what they do, and that's true. But I also think there's an irony of, abs like your idea of there's no absolute truth is an absolute truth. <laughs> and so right there, it starts to fall apart, and then as you would go further down, 
I think all of us know in society we need certain things to hold true or it's chaos. And so, again, I'm not here to just pick a hole at this or say this, this can't be true. I'd love to talk about it more with you um, and love to hear why do you think this way? Um, and I'm not saying it's completely flawed thinking, but I think it's less prevalent here. But I do think that has shifted in our culture, and that's impactful. The second reason, which I think, especially for those of us in here who feel this way, I think this is probably much more the case, is that we had a bad experience. Um, this doesn't have to do with evangelism, but in college I played football at Northwestern. Uh, we were pretty good for a terrible conference, which means we weren't very good. Um, but it was fun all the, all the same. And so came back because I had injuries previous in my career, came back for a fifth year. And in one of our games halfway through the season, uh, a guy dove at the back of my legs, felt my knee pop, was like, this isn't great. And then I was laying on the ground. I started hitting it. It popped again. I was like, oh, I fixed it. I'm really good at this. And then the next play, my leg completely gave out. And I was like, this is over. Um, immediately I knew I would never play football again, which probably everyone else is thankful for. My family was like, finally, no more injuries, hopefully. Um, had the MRI, realized I'm going to need a significant surgery. Uh, so had surgery where they repaired ligaments in my knee and then also found I had no cartilage in my knee, so they drilled holes um, in the femur and fibula to try to get cartilage to grow back. So extremely painful. It was no weight-bearing for months. Um, and during this time period, trying to rehab, Ended up going to Bethel. Can't believe I drove that far and went to that place, but it was terrible. Um, but up the street for their worship night. I think it was called Vespers. And throughout the time, it was like, oh, this was a really good night. Um, I enjoyed it, went with some friends. And as we got done, I was talking to a circle of friends, and a young man came up to me and um, just said, hey, sir, what's your name? I said, my name's Nate. And he said, what happened to your knee? And I told him a little bit, and he goes, can I pray for you that it would be healed? And in my mind, I was like, yeah, I mean, that'd be great. Um, I already had surgery, but I would love if it was, like, finally over. And so he prayed for me, and um, he got done. He goes, how does it feel? I was like, pretty terrible. Um, and he, he then proceeded to tell me, like, well, if you really believe that God could heal it, you'll test it. Step on it. And in my head, I got frustrated. I got mad. And... Yet I couldn't reconcile, like, well, if I do believe, I think I probably would. Um, and so I leaned forward and started to test it, and my leg collapsed. It hurt so, so bad. And he goes, it didn't work that Can I pray again? And I just said, no, please leave. Um, I still have problem when people talk about healing. It's, it's, I still can see this man's face walking up to me. You don't know me. You told me you had a supernatural desire to pray for me. And my leg hurt so much worse. And I was scared that night, like, did I do damage to my cartilage? Will I ever go back? Why would I be so stupid when my leg hurts like this to put weight on it? And I have such a, a nasty taste in my mouth still about that idea of miraculous healing. Um, and yet the reality is that's faulty thinking. Nate needs to do work in his heart to be like, this is a good thing. This is real. That was a bad experience from that person. And I think probably several of you in here have felt that when it comes to evangelism. And I just want to say I'm sorry for the individuals who did it, for the church that has done it. We have to acknowledge there's been mistakes. Um, and if they have with pride sh shouted down at you how you're worse than them, they don't understand. They smashed down your arguments. They collapse this around you. You feel like you have no choice, but I have to step on my leg if I actually... It's wrong. Um, but please don't equate evangelism being wrong. It's two totally separate things. Um, this is a, a place I've never spent much time, um, the hair salon, but I think it's just, it's faulty thinking. If my wife went in, because let's be honest, I shaved my own head. There's not much hair there to work with. If she went in and came out with a terrible haircut, got home, was like, this looks bad, and I have to be like, yeah, it doesn't look great. All right. If she told me, like, Nate, that hairstylist had no idea what she was doing, I will never let anyone cut my hair ever again. Hairstylists are bad. Be like, no, 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 I don't think that's the right style. Like, props to you if you never want to cut your hair again. It doesn't mean haircuts are bad. You had a bad experience with a stylist. Maybe go find a good one who can fix it. Probably not me, probably someone else. 
I did cut her hair once during COVID. If you want to ask her about that, feel free. Um, <laughs> but again, I think we inherently know this. A bad experience, or even several bad experiences, that's with an individual person or a group. That's not necessarily the category of evangelism. Um, and so we'd love to talk with you more if that's been your experience. Um, and just a, one more thing on that. I would just say the idea of Christianity is we're sinful, messed up people who make mistakes. So the reality is we're going to make mistakes in this category. <laughs> that's what we are. If it was a, I wish it was just, hey, we're a bunch of perfect people that now go fix the world. It'd be a lot easier to share our faith. And that's not the reality. And so we are, so I've hurt people, other people have hurt people. Um, the church has done things like the Crusades or like Native Americans, like you are going to look like us, talk like us, we're going to conquer in the name of the kingdom, and that's wrong. Doesn't mean the concept of evangelism is wrong. Third category of people, Christians sitting in here who value evangelism but aren't doing it. Um, to you, I'd say, I think there's something in this for you, and I want you to join the party with us. Um, I think it's, it's easy sometimes. Our society, inflation, everything's costing so much. There, a lot of times it's like, how can I get the most benefit without having any cost to me? And I think Jesus is saying, I want you to be a witness. I want you to be a part of this. I want you to invite. And I have more fun and joy for you. And you're missing out. And we want this. So, for all of you, I hope there's something in here for you. So I'm going to pray quick, and we're going to jump into our text. Um, Lord, would you help us? Um, the church and we have failed so often. Your disciples failed at sharing who you are, and it feels overwhelming. And so I just pray for us, the people, and for me as I'm speaking, that anything I say that's not true to Scripture would quickly be forgotten and things that are true, that are your heart, that are your vision for the world, would they ring true? And would we be able to be a people and a church that is marked by being with you? And we act like that. And so, um, yeah, thank you for this time. I pray you bless this and what we look forward. Amen. All right, we're going to look in the book of Mark, one of my favorite books, nice and to the point. We have a longer story. Again, like I said, I don't have theological training. I'm pretty simple, so I look for narrative because I don't have to break down all these big words. And so we'll read the story. I think as we're reading it, I would just challenge you, try to actually put yourself in like what this scene would really look like. We're going to try to zoom in on it. Um, but I think so often it's easy to read something, especially when it's this short or whatever else, and just like take it for granted in the story maybe many of us have heard for our entire lives. But it's pretty wild. Um, so we're going to do that. So Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. <clears throat> they came to the other side. This is Jesus and the disciples. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. And he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what had happened. Um, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to, what, described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, 
Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Uh, so, our demon-possessed man. So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to break this into three chunks, and we're just going to zoom in on a few different things. So, I know you guys are intelligent, capable people. You heard the story. But I just want to zoom in on a few things that are happening here um, in each chunk. So, we're going to start with who this man is. Um, so, we have verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> so, Mark tries to make it abundantly clear. He's just going to repeat things, and he's like, please don't miss this as he's telling the story. So, first... Um, before we get into the man, we do know that they were in a boat, Jesus and the disciples that got off on the other side. So we're in Gentile land. This is going to matter. That's why we have pigs. That's why we're here. Um, and he's dealing with this. So number one, uh, you may have caught this, but the man lives among the tombs. Uh, pretty unique living situation. Uh, just to double check, does anyone live among the tombs? <laughs> People laugh. No, we live across from a cemetery. It's kind of creepy at night. Um, yeah, not great. So just a few things here. Um, yeah, it, this is not normal. Uh, we're by This is where germs are. This is dirty. This is unclean. This is a man who doesn't have other options. If you could live inside the city in, a, in an apartment, you would. <laughs> but he lives among the tombs, and Matthew tells a story. There's a second guy. There aren't other options. There, this is like the start of Halloween, horror story, <laughs> everything else. It's where the graveyard is where you don't go. And this is where this guy lives. Um, very much an area to avoid. All right, number two. Uh, this is pretty self-explanatory, but he had an unclean spirit. So we see the evidence of this in his strength and who he is and his shrieking of himself. But for probably years, we don't know, but this guy has been possessed and is no longer himself. He's no longer in his right mind, which is why he's no longer in the city, but he's out by himself. Number three. No one could bind him. Um, dude's crazy strong. So, this is wild. Um, but people from the village, apparently, would go try to chain him up. How would you chain up a crazy person who's this strong? Probably not during the day. You don't want to see, you can't let him see you're coming. Like, at night, while he's asleep, you run in, you chain him up, you run away, saying, we'll find out in the morning if you broke him. And every night, it wasn't just a one-time thing, every single time, he breaks them. So I'm assuming these men from the village grouping up, and you're at the point of, we can't do anything. The guy is undefeated. He breaks every chain. No one can bind him. The only thing we can do is avoid the whole area. Um, this would be parents. Your kids, are, would they be allowed to go next to the tombs with this guy there? No. This is like the boogeyman stories that they tell about him um, that's in the tombs. Strong, undefeated, no one can deal with him. Number four, he harms himself with stones by cutting himself and cries out. Again, I think this is just adding to like the horror setting. of the Like you have the tombs where you literally have a guy screaming his head off while he's hurting himself. Everyone in the town knows. Like we have to find new places to bury people. It's not safe anymore. This guy's out of his mind, hurting himself, and way stronger than all of us combined. And so we literally have the start of our Stephen King novel of who the man is. And then we get verses 6 through 13. So we're going to get the interaction between Jesus and the man, which is kind of the spirit. All right, so <clears throat> context. Our undefeated man never is lost. Everyone has to sneak up to him at night. You can't go in daytime to where he is. So what happens when he sees Jesus? We see from far off, he runs and falls down before him. Um, again, I think this is where most people take, I think this is the main point of the passage. We're going to take it another direction later. But let's just realize, this. again, Mark is trying to make it so clear. He never loses. No one can bind him. He sees Jesus at a distance. He runs and submits because it's already over. There is no power struggle. There is no warranting here going back and forth of like, well, maybe I'll win this time. It's just done right off the bat. Um, and I just want to, if you're one of the disciples here, just, again, put your mind, we're going to find out later that the man's clothed in his right mind, which probably means he's unclothed and crazy, so you have a naked man sprinting out of the tombs at you and just falls down before him and starts begging. And so now we get to hear a little bit of Jesus' conversation with him where Jesus asks 
the Spirit's name, which he says is legion, I think pretty famous because it's the one time we get so many. Um, and in this conversation then, the, the legion, the undefeated spirit, begins to beg Jesus for two things. Um, so number one, please don't send us out of this country. And number two, please let us go into the pigs. Um, to which Jesus says, sure. He allows both things. So you can stay in the country and you can go into the herd of pigs. And so now roughly 2,000 pigs run down the hill and die and drown themselves. All right, a couple notes on this. Number one, please don't get distracted by the pigs. I think a lot of times we read this, and I, I'm all for PETA. I don't think animals should be abused. I think this is terrible. The pigs are not the point of the story. And I think so often we get stuck in like, how could Jesus ever do this to the pigs? He didn't. The demons did. Um, but beyond that, this is not a story about Jesus' cruelty. It's the exact opposite. It's about the sympathy that he sees a man naked running at him who's crazy, who has been kicked out of society, who's no longer allowed to participate, who's unclean, living by himself in the tombs, and he has mercy on him. This is not a cruel God. This is a sympathetic, loving God. Um, He had real sympathy for the man who needed it. Number two, um, with the pigs, so that the demon requests to go into them, which leads us to believe, I think, a couple things about this spirit. A, it wants to be in something. It doesn't want to just be out there. It wasn't like, just kick me out and go, at least let me occupy that. But I think, secondly, the demon did not realize that the pigs would go do this. Um, John Piper points this out, but if they really thought the pigs were just going to go kill themselves and it would have to find a new host body immediately, it wouldn't ask to go into them. And so it's looking for a place, but I think the uh, level of power and destruction and harm that went into these pigs then was like, we're going to take our own lives immediately. It wasn't that, and it wasn't what Jesus, I don't think it was what the demons had expected. And then third, it, it does create this interesting juxtaposition. It's my biggest word I'll use today. You're welcome. Um, where I think everyone who's there is going to have to make a decision. Their wealth, their value, their business, their pigs are on one side, and Jesus is on the other. And they're going to have to make a choice. And we're going to see really shortly, they choose poorly. And I really hope we don't make that same mistake. And then last with this, um, we, I think it's just important we can't miss this. So in the, in the Legion's request, he says, don't send me out of the country and send me in the pigs. Matthew tells the same story, and what he includes, which I just think is so helpful, is, is Legion also asks Jesus, are you here to torment me before the time? And so for those of us who are screaming for just like, Jesus, how could you let 2,000 pigs die? How could you do this? Um, the answer to justice and to those requests is eventually no. There is a time where he no longer allows yes. There is a time where the torment comes. There is a time where this power dynamic, you're no longer allowed to ask for things and receive them. And I know so many of us, we want it now. We see our world. We see what's happening around us. It's like, please bring this now. But he says it's going to be later. So the answer is yes. It's not a, I just neglect all these things and these people and these creatures. There will be justice. There will be, finally be times where he says no more to these things. But he allows it for now. But again, we can't miss it. It's a story of his sympathy, not of his cruelty. We get verses 14 through 20. Jesus, the herdsman, and the man. So what we get with the herdsmen, so they watch this thing. Pretty crazy ordeal. Um, if I was them, personally, if I saw all of my flock that I was in charge of, caretaking, run in the scene, kill itself, I would probably like go up to Jesus first and be like, man, don't really want to see anyone else at this point. Can I get on the boat with you? <laughs> let's, let's get out of here. They don't. They flee, and it says they tell everyone in the country and in the city what just happened. This is a big ordeal. This is this town's livelihood, this area's. And so they tell everyone about the man who everyone would know and about the pigs being dead. And what happens? Everyone comes to see. The whole surrounding area comes to see Jesus. This is working out just how he would want. 
And again, it says once they get there, they retell the story. And how do the people react? Do they throw a party? Do they celebrate like this? They would have known this guy from childhood. He's clothed and sitting in his right mind. Do they throw a party of like, finally we have our friend back. Finally he can be a part of our society. We have tried to fix everything, Jesus, and it never worked, but you fixed it overnight. Come and be with us. No. They start out, or they end exactly how they started out, afraid. Now they're afraid of Jesus, not the man where you couldn't go in this area because he's too powerful. Now they're still afraid, but it's this time it's of Jesus, and they proceed to beg. So they beg for Jesus to flee. Most miraculous thing they've ever seen, and all they can say is, get out. We don't want you. Um, And maybe more miraculously, he does. He doesn't start preaching about, you have no idea what you did. Look what I just did to this. I could have done this anyway. Bring me your other sick. Bring me your other possessed. I can fix it all. Give me a chance. Mark doesn't give us any of that. He says, okay. And he gets back on the boat. So while he's getting on the boat, the man who's finally clothed in his right mind runs to Jesus. Um, Again, put yourself in his shoes. You've finally been given everything back. You can move back into town. You can get a job. This man may have had a family. You can finally see your kids again. You can finally benefit society. Um, But instead, what does he say? Let me come with you. Have it all back. I owe it all to you. Let me come with you. And I'm sure in the disciples' mind, they're like, this is great. We have kind of haven't done much yet. We finally have our headline speaker. We're going to get back on the boat, and this guy's going to be like, this was my life. We've all been there where someone has just this unbelievable story of, I was demon-possessed. I was this... I was sitting naked in the tombs. No one would talk to me. And this man changed everything. Like you have your evangelist headline speaker. And what does Jesus do? Tells him no. Go back to the Decapolis and tell everyone how God has had mercy on you. Wild. So why would he do this? I'm going to give you Nate's thoughts. Um, Again, take this with a grain of salt, but I think it rings true. What if the most strategic thing Jesus could ever do is to send the man back to everyone who knew him so they could see the change and difference? It's not back in Jerusalem who they have no idea who this guy is. They didn't experience this, but instead he says, go back. They grew up with you, they know you, and your life has changed. Tell them how God has had mercy. And I think this is a pattern we see in the Bible more often than we would maybe expect. Um, There are definitely people who are called to come with and go preach and go to new places and maybe you're going across the world like one of our global partners is. And the Lord does that. But I think so often he says, go back and tell them how I've had mercy. But I do just want to zoom in one last time and and just point point out a few things before we take away application. Um, So in the story, we have three beggars. Try to make that clear, but just really want to, so there's three beggars who are asking stuff of Jesus. We have legion, unclean spirits, we have the people slash the herdsmen, and we have the man. All three are going to make requests. So we have three, kind of four, requests, but number one by legion, don't send us out of the country, send us in the pigs. It's Jesus says yes to the unclean spirit, which is not like the best starting point, and to his two requests that feel a little weird. Then we have the herdsmen and the people, please leave our region. Again, not really beneficial, and yet Jesus says yes. And then we get the one man who finally gives the response we want. Let me come with you, and he says no. Um, Wild. So could it be that Jesus is really terrible at the idea of evangelism? Maybe, but I don't think he is. So um, we're going to look at a few takeaways and practicals. So for each takeaway from the story, we'll have one practical and that's where we'll end. All right, so number one, people talk about life-changing things. Uh, we see this a couple times in the story. We get the herdsmen. It's maybe a change for the worse, but as soon as all their pigs die, as soon as this thing happens, they run and they tell everyone they can. And it makes sense. You have to. You can't just hide like, I don't know what happened to 2,000 pigs. Um, you're stuck at that point and you have to express to everyone. And it was such a weird, unique thing that they tell everyone. And this is true of them, this is true of us. Um, We talk about things that are life-changing. 
when you get to know someone, if you spend time talking and listening, you'll hear about things that have changed their life. And I think we can take this one step further, is we talk about things that we love. Um, it's just who people are, it's what they do. If you spend time around me now, I have these two crazy nine-month-olds, I love them to death. I have become, I said I would never be that dad who shows pictures or tells stories about them. I can't help myself. You spend 15 minutes with me, I'm like, you're like talking about your dog, I'm like, oh yeah, this is what Nova looks like today. And everyone's like, that doesn't fit, please don't say that. Um, but I can't help it, they have changed my life. Um, I don't sleep, I don't get to do, always do, get to do what I want. Everything about Nate and Ellie has changed since these two came in the world. Um, and it's great. And we love it, and we can't help but express and talk about it. Whether it's your favorite restaurant, your favorite sports team, John Gerster's not here today, but he'd be bragging about the Chiefs. I'm glad he's not even here um, to deal with them. But the reality is you talk to someone, you get to know what they love quickly. And this should be true for Christians. And this is where I'd argue, where we don't do evangelism, where we think it's wrong, it's inauthentic not to talk about things we love and things that are life-changing. And maybe a rhetorical question I just want to leave you with is, how life-changing is something, or how much do you love it if you don't talk about it? It's hard. Um, so let's do a practical. Think of one person you would want to invite. This is for believers that you'd want to invite. Okay, we're going to change the word to invite because we're going to get there, I think, how this guy was doing this. Um, but the reality is, I think when we start to think about the idea of an invitation in Jesus, it just feels overwhelming. There's too many people. How could we ever do it? Um, here's just a couple stats for you with just food for thought. Um, I don't think the stat is true, but if we have roughly 330 million people in the U United States right now, and we have roughly 160 million that would say they're Christians, if that stat was true, if every single one of the 160 just spent the next year pursuing one person and inviting them to experience Jesus' love, and then that pattern continued, we'd reach the whole United States in roughly a year and a half. Um, pretty simple. Let's say that number's not right. Let's say it's 10 million. If there's 10 million Christians, which every stat would say, nope, that's really low. Because of multiplication, if 10 million spent time with 10 million and they love Jesus, and 20 million spent time with 20 million because they love Jesus, just one a year, which feels like a really attainable bar, you'd reach the whole United States in seven years and the world would be reached in like 12, if you only had 10 million. Kind of crazy. But is there one person you could think who you'd want to invite? Yeah, we talk, people talk about life-changing things. Number two, Jesus is the star of the story. Um, so we're, we're going to spend some time talking about the man, what happened, but we can't lose sight of, the story's all about Jesus. There's a reason all the other characters are begging him. He is the shining star. He will always be the main character. And as we think about invitation, that has to be the case. He is, it's always about what he has done. Even when Jesus is like, hey, go share what God has done for you. He doesn't, go share about you. No, go share about what God has done for you. God is still the main character. Um, and so, while he didn't stay and preach, Jesus didn't spend all his time like, I have the perfect sermon. I can finally allude to all these things. He sends the man, lets him share his story, and invite others to come investigate him. And we're, again, we're going to talk about this in a couple of points. We don't know what these people responded, but they marveled. They said, Jesus, get out. They marveled when the man came back, and they saw the life change. Um, so, practical for us, I think. When you share your story or think about your story, who comes across as the main character? Is it you? That's not evangelism. That's not an invitation. That's your story. It's all about him. And I'd say as you evaluate, maybe with a significant other or a roommate or a friend, you tell your story and you're like, it kind of sounds like it's all about me. Um, and I think reevaluate. How is it about him? How do I tell this different? How do I accurately communicate so he's the star? because I've never been the star. Um, we had a, a speaker come to our staff team one time and talk about, um, his name was Jim Cofield, and he talked about this really, I'm sorry if you're into this, nerdy convention. I think it was Comic-Con or something like that. Um, I don't, I'm a nerd, but I don't swim in those waters as much as like other nerd stuff. And, but one of the things, he, he gave this analogy that I just thought was so helpful, where he said, he was like walking around, and there's all these stars of all these 
things who are signing autographs, and you can go up to him. And he's like, and then there was this one booth where Stormtrooper number four was signing autographs. And it's like, come on, man, you could be anyone. We don't even know if that's true. But this, and his point was, this man's made his entire life off being Stormtrooper number four. He's still signing autographs 45 years later because he was a part of this grand big story. He said, it's better to be a small part of the big story, the good story, than it is to be the star of a crappy one. The stars of the crappy shows, they're not there. And Jesus invites, he's like, I am the main character. I'm the only one worthy of worship. And so if I'm not the main character, I'm doing everyone a disservice. But please come be stormtrooper number four and get to be a part of the main thing and have purpose. It's great. Number three, anyone can invite and I hope this is really good news for us. Um, just like I don't have theological training, uh, I'm up here, some might be good, some of this might be good, some might not. The reality is this, this Gentile had none. He didn't have the Torah memorized. He didn't have any sort of connection with Jesus beforehand. He hadn't been praying for many years. His life was changed on a dime, and Jesus says, go back and share how the Lord's worked. He didn't say, hey, man, here's a packet now. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to die on the cross. The guy knew none of it. Um, I think the story with the woman at the well is even better, but we've preached on that more recently, so I didn't pull it in. But she runs back to her town after Jesus talks to her and confronts her and says, come and see the man who told me all that I ever did. Again, it's come and see. It's about him. It's not about me. And I think this completely changes the vibe of evangelism, but you don't have to have... um, a certificate. You don't have to go on YouTube and watch hours of debates. You don't have to do any of this. Your story's enough um, for those of us who are believers. And if you might be thinking, well, yeah, if my story was that, I would have enough. <laughs> if I could give that full story, you know, just say, don't sell yourself short. The Bible clearly talks about you came from death to life. Ephesians 2 says you were dead in your trespasses and sins and made alive in Jesus. You, just like this guy, literally came out of the tombs. In the same way this story, this guy's running out of the tombs. That's what he did for you. You have a miraculous story already. And it's not about you. It's about what he did. And so, um, I just challenge you. Anyone can invite. You don't need to go get trained. You don't need to do anything else. Um, and I hope this feels freeing because the reality is when you're giving out an invitation, it's their chance to say yes or no. You don't have to feel any of the burden of it. Um, if you're hosting a Super Bowl party tonight, it's no skin off your back if someone says no. You're like, great, more, for my case, buffalo chicken dip for me. Um, it's their decision. And I think it's just so helpful, even in this story. Jesus, there's, the invitation is there. They say no, and Jesus says okay. We don't need to shove anything down someone's throats. We don't have to convince them. We don't have to do anything else. He'll take it up with him. It's like, hey, if it's a no, it's all good. You're talking to him. It's not me. And ultimately, Jesus is going to give every single person what they want. You can have a life with me or without me. I'm not going to hold you against your will. Um, But with that, I think the only crime there is if people don't know there's an invitation. And so this is Nate's idea and conviction. Feel free to take it. Feel free to disagree. If I'm going to err on two sides, I would rather err on oversharing and they knew it was an invitation versus them not knowing. Um, I'd rather be a little annoying. So practice telling your story. Uh, step number four. Success is defined differently in the kingdom. Uh, we don't know if these people believed. I don't think this guy being a faithful inviter is really dependent on did they all confess. We know they marveled. Marvel is not the same as believing. And the reality is we aren't going to know or be able to always judge, was I successful based on the results that I see? Uh, Corinthians talks about how um, one man planted, another man watered, but it's God who gives the growth. And we don't know where we're at in that spectrum. We're an inviter. We might be the first time someone's ever heard the name of Jesus. And guess what? They're probably not going to accept him right there. That's just the reality, just like us. Um, We might be the 50th time. We might be the 100th time. And we don't know where in that line that they might have faith in Jesus and be like, man, I crushed it that time. No, you didn't. You were just the 107th person who's done this and God's already been doing all of this. And so we can't just judge it based on fruit. Um, We can judge on being at least faithful for that. Um, Two ditches that I do just want to address really quickly on this. Um, Ditches mean if you're driving on the road, you can fall off two sides. 
So one, I think we can't strictly address like our ability to share the gospel and how we're doing it and evaluate it based on results. Um, because there is that reality. We don't know where we're at the line. We're, we're just dropping seeds, and God's the one who's going to cause it to grow. Um, and so we don't always know. And I think you can look at stories in the Bible and be like, man, if that was the result I got, I would have thought I did something wrong. Like Paul, when he's walking the road, and the people come out and beat him to the point where they think they've killed him. If I got beaten to the point of thinking I had died, and they all left, cause like, at least we killed him, I'd probably be like, I need to replan next time. <laughs> we did something wrong in there. But that's not the case. Paul is being faithful. The results don't always benefit where you being faithful. And so I don't think we can just take it strictly results-based. On the other side, I think we can get more strategic and smarter about how we engage. Um, a while ago, I went to a Timberwolves game, and there was a man over the loudspeaker screaming, have you ever watched pornography? You're going to hell. Have you ever done this? You're going to hell. And I cringed on the inside again. Talk about a bad experience. And I wanted to be like, shut up. And other people were yelling stuff at him already, so I didn't need to. I was like, I just want to get in the game. Um, could that work? Yes. Do I think that's strategic in today's society? Probably not. Um, and I think we can learn. And so I think this is where, again, it's spirit. Um, it's praying about this. It's figuring it out. But it's also using people in your community, in your church, others like, man, this is kind of how I was sharing. How do you think that went across? Or spirit, convict me. Where was I being prideful and where I was sharing and I was like leading this person away from Christ. And so we, I think we have to evaluate this, but it can't just be off um, strictly results and we need people and we need to grow in that. Um, one other guy I'll, I'll throw out there, I used to work with this guy named Billy um, at St. Thomas, Ellie and I both did, and he honestly made me so uncomfortable at points. He would share the gospel in, I thought, weird ways. It was always true to the gospel and I'm like, you're not strategic, don't draw it up like that. And it was just strange and awkward at points. And people just kept coming to faith because of Billy. He shared all the time. And he's like, I think another person became a Christian. I'm like, Billy, it doesn't work like that. You can't, it doesn't go that fast. He's like, it's true. And these guys have just been discipled by Billy and are Christians and everything else. I want to say, I thought I was so much more strategic and winsome and thoughtful. And like, I would draw it up more like this. And the Lord just blessed Billy and he was faithful. Um, I do think we can spend less time always thinking about how did I come across and how did I do this perfectly and can I get Jesus in front of people because he's the one who changes lives. So practical, be fair, faithful to share and pray. Um, Spirit, God's got to do the work. If we're not praying, we're probably not going to see much fruit. Um, but we also want to pray for op when we have opportunities to take advantage because it's scary. It's scary for me. All right, last point where I want to end. Jesus is the same. Um, in writing this, I stand up here as a hypocrite. Um, I went through my phone. I have a neighbor who lives two doors down, does not love Jesus, has wanted to get to know me, I think is intrigued by our lives. Um, I've done things to help him, but... I went through and read the number of times he's invited me over in the past year and a half, and I've said no every time. Um, I'm nine for nine, undeclining going to his house. Huh. Every part of me knows I should want to love this guy and go there. And I can come up with excuses, and I don't even bring it up to Ellie because I'm like, oh, the girls need me. It's too crazy. It's around bedtime or whatever else, and the reality is if I ever brought it up, the reason I haven't brought it up with Ellie is because I know she'd say, yeah, I got him, go. This is more important. Um, maybe you feel like I'm a hypocrite. I, all the time, don't share. All the time, I see something, I'm like, oh, maybe next time it'll be more perfect. I see people around me, and I'm like, I'm on a busy schedule. There's no point. Um, how does Jesus engage with us who failed to be witnesses? Yeah. I think we have a really gentle Savior that just like he saw sympathy on the man has sympathy on us. A couple examples where I think this is just so clear, um, probably fairly familiar, but Peter, before his death, Jesus tells him, you're going to betray me three times. And Peter goes on to do that before the rooster crows three times. He says, I do not even know this man. Um, and I think sometimes we quote like, whoever's ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of him. And we think it's just condemnation for those who don't share and what does Jesus go and do to Peter when he rises from the dead? 
he pulls him aside and he has a conversation. And three times he says, Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter says, you know I do. And Jesus does it. This isn't just by accident. Three times he restores him. You come back. And the old is wiped away. It's not because you did a good deed and you said you love me now. You're new. I have overcome it. Jesus already shared. He already lived the perfect life. He already did all of it correctly so you don't have to. So when you're like Nate and your neighbor texts you nine times to hang out and please come into my house, they say no because I don't want to. It doesn't feel worth it. Or another one, Thomas, another disciple, one who had seen everything that Jesus had done, who had engaged with him, watched all these miracles like this story, and they said, he's, he's resurrected, and he goes, I don't believe it until I touch the scars. And Jesus could have appeared in the room, and he could have said, you idiot. I've told you for this entire year what was going to happen. I have done all these miracles. Why don't you believe? But he doesn't. He says, come, touch the scars. You can feel them all you want. I want you to believe and know and this is what he does with us. And so, what's our practical? Repent when we don't share, when we don't feel like sharing, when we're too afraid to share, when it doesn't feel worth it. Repent. We apologize and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And we sit in his love. And I promise when we sit with our Savior, with our life-changing Savior, we will share. And this is who we are as a church and as a people. Um, and who we're meant to be as Resurrection City is a people that invites and loves. Um, worship team can come up. up. I'm going to pray quick and go. So, Heavenly Father, thank you that you have mercy on me, a sinner, on me who um, often counts the cost where it just doesn't feel worth it to share. Um, I repent of it. It's wrong, Lord, and I want to be more loving. And so would you help me spend more time with you, sit with you more deeply, and enjoy who you are more. Um, and would we be a church and a people that invites? Um, all through the Old Testament, you talk about your people was blessed to be a blessing. And that was primarily about their relationship with you, and their relationship with you is how they affect and change the world. And that's what we want. And so, Lord, would you bless us? <laughs> with closer relationship with you so that we'd bless others. Um, we pray this all in your son's name. Amen.